I hope that you know every week you feel that God is speaking to you something that you're growing in your relationship with God. I hope that you know it's not like just something you come on Sunday and then you're reminded, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a follower of God." It should be something that you know it's it's a uh, is new for you every um every day. You know, you want to be listening to what God is talking to you that day. You know, what what does he want you to do? You know, how is your relationship with God? How is it doing? You know, um we 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 have normal ways of knowing like our body, you know, we have nerves and and our, our our stomach and stuff. So our stomach says, hey, I'm hungry. You know, you haven't fed me in a while. Or we start to feel thirsty, that we need water. Or if we don't, we're not wearing enough clothes, we feel cold and, you know, we start to shiver and stuff. We have all of these ways of knowing physically what our body needs. But what about our spirit? You know, do you have that sensitivity to how your spirit is doing, to how your relationship with God is doing. Do you know when, yeah, I need to get right with God. There's some things that, you know, I've been trying to shut my ear to what the Holy Spirit has been telling me. You know, I, I you know, sometimes you, you don't, you feel something wrong, but you, you're not sure. You need to ask God, come to God and, 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 and listen to him, what he wants to say to you. So this is very important. I don't want to. I don't want you to think that you know just coming on Sunday and listening to the words on Sunday is enough. You need to live this every day of the week, throughout the week. You know, if you come on Sunday, it's great because you can learn the word, you can be encouraged by one another, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and and recharged, but. The, you're 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 a follower of Jesus throughout throughout the week. So, um, anyways, I'm glad to see you all here this morning. We are going to study His Word. How many people love the Word of God? Good. How many people have their Bibles here? Okay, you got your phones, people. <laughs> I I. I I, I think that uh you know having a, a physical Bible is is very important. But uh maybe that's just me. I don't know. Um <laughs> You know uh, a few weeks ago I preached about the Beatitudes, the first four Beatitudes, and today I want to continue to preach about the last four Beatitudes. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. The Bible says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed 
are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we want to submit ourselves to you, to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Lord, we humble ourselves and we come before you. Lord, asking you, Lord, for your instruction, for your wisdom, Father God, for your empowering. We welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and to convict us and to change us and to renew our mind, Father God. Lord, we ask you, Father God, to speak to us as a congregation this morning. And Father, we also pray for the church, Father God. Lord, we pray that you will help this church to fulfill what you've called us to do. We pray for our city, Father God. Lord, that you will have mercy on our city, Father. Lord, that you will turn people to you, Father God. Lord, that you will destroy the works of the enemy, Father. That lives will be restored and families will be restored, Father. We pray for, for protection, Father God, and safety, Lord. We pray for the good government, Father God, that we can live in peace, Father God, and be prosperous, Lord. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters and other churches, Lord. We pray that you um, speak to the other churches as well, Father God. Lord, raise up many, many strong disciples, Father. Lord, bind us together by your, your Holy Spirit, Father God. Give us a true love for one another, Father God, that the world will see you through us, Father. Well, Father, we pray for um, our fellowship churches, our brother and sister churches in different cities, Father God. Lord, we pray that you watch over them and protect them, Father God. Strengthen the pastors, Father God, and the leaders, Lord, in those churches. Help them to not be discouraged, Father, but encouraged no matter what they see, Lord. Father, we pray for Pastor Lau and Pastor Da and their family, that you protect them, Father God. Lord, speak to them and refresh them, Father God, when they're on their vacation, Lord. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you keep them healthy, Father God. Watch over all of their things, Father God, all over their prop. Uh, uh, his business and, and their house, Father God. Bless them, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the, uh, the, the Beatitudes, Jesus is starting his Sermon on the Mount. How many people have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, good. I hope you all have. Um, it's the longest recorded sermon of that that Jesus gave and in this sermon he gives an absolute 
highest standard of, of morality that you're going to find anywhere in any religion. But more than what's even better than that is that he doesn't just say, here, do it. But he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he's going to help you. So not only does Jesus tell us what we ought to do, but he's, he says, I'm going to help you. He, he gave us his Holy Spirit so that we are changed more and more to be like him. So I want to encourage you when, you, when we study the Beatitudes, not to feel that this is impossible or that this is something that I know I ought to do and it adds more guilt onto you. But I want you to be encouraged that when you humble yourself and repent and yield yourself to God, that he is going to help you to change, to be like what we read. Last time we read the first four, and they're about our relationship with God. We need to be poor in spirit. We need to be spiritual beggars when we come to God. We need to mourn for, for our own sin, mourn for the sins of others. We need to be meek, like Jesus was meek, not boastful and proud and, and um, assertive, but but humble and meek. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness, first in our own lives and also in our sphere of influence as well. The, I, want, I want to go on. and Let's read in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God is merciful. One of his characteristics is mercy. It doesn't mean that, that there's something outside of God and God resembles that. There's some idea of mercy and God resembles that. It means that whenever we think of mercy, whenever we talk about mercy, we're talking about God because it's one of his intrinsic characteristics of who he is. When you understand mercy, that person is merciful, that person is not merciful, you're judging, the, you're seeing how they, how they uh, correspond with God's absolute standard, with who he is. He, he, is, mer- he is merciful. Um, sometimes people believe that the Old Testament is talking about God's holiness and his justice and wrath against sin. But the New Testament is talking about his mercy and love, but it's not true. Definitely, his mercy and love is, is, is manifest in, in the New Testament as well, but it's also shown in the Old Testament. And there's not, we shouldn't have an idea that the God of the Old Testament is like Jehovah and, and is a... a a, a vengeful and cruel God and suddenly he changes and then treats us differently in, in, the, in the New Testament. And unfortunately, there are some uh, Christian teachers who, who teach something like that, but it's not, it's not right. It's not uh, according to what the Bible says. In, in fact, even in the law of Moses, we see, uh, we see the, the characteristics of God's mercy God didn't choose the Israelites 
um, because they were righteous. He didn't give, lead them into the promised land because they were righteous, but because he was righteous and because he was faithful and that he had mercy on these, these guys you know, who, who were stiff-necked and rebellious. Um, God had mercy to save the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt when they're talking about the different rules even of you have to offer this sin offering and, and this offering. If you offered a sin offering, you were supposed to offer a lamb. But some people couldn't afford a lamb. So God said, it's okay. You can offer a pigeon. And I will accept that just as, 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 as equal as a lamb. And if you can't offer a pigeon, I will accept a sack of flour because some people can't, can't afford a pigeon. This is mercy. It's God's mercy. He, he told the Israelites, every seven years, you're to cancel all debts. And every 50 years, everybody is to be given back their inherited land. God didn't want there to be like a, an underclass of people who were condemned to be slaves and their children and grandchildren to be slaves forever because they couldn't rise out of it. But he said, hey, it's all right. There can be some richer people and some poorer people, but it shouldn't be like these guys are just going to be rich forever and their families are going to be rich forever and these poor people are going to be poor and and poor forever, but you should show mercy to one another. Um, he, He... said specifically that the Sabbath is for rest. And not, not just re- for rest for the big landowners, but even he specifies for their oxen and their donkeys and their laborers and the, the immigrants that live among you who probably did like day labor. He said that even the oxen and donkeys should be able to rest on the Sabbath. You see... All of these things show God's mercy. God is a merciful God. It's part of who, we, who he is. We need to be merciful if we're going to be the sons and daughters of God. God, right? We need to be uh, merciful if we're going to receive mercy from God. Sometimes we, um, we're not merciful in, in our own actions and then the, the things that we say and the things that we do. Sometimes we say, you know, something is right, fair, just, and it's right, therefore, that's what I'm going to say because God is about justice. But we lose sight of mercy. If, uh, if we are an... Uh, economic or fiscal conservative and we think that you know the that a welfare state is not good for people for moral reasons because it makes them dependent on others or it kind of uh, um, not makes them uh, be able to stand on themselves but is it, it's kind of corrupting for, for them then okay that's fine I could see how that could be a merciful viewpoint. In fact, I, I tend to agree. I don't think that it's healthy for people to always, you know, have an open hand out. Hey, give me, give me, give me. I don't think that's 
good for people, um, you know, in the long run. But if we're saying those things because we don't want my tax dollars to go to these freeloaders or, you know, hey, I worked for this. This is mine. You know, I should keep it. I'm sorry. That is, is not a merciful, merciful attitude. We need to be merciful and understand that the definition of mercy is undeserved. You only give mercy to people who don't deserve it. I mean, who, who you don't owe it, owe it to those people. Mercy can be uh, towards, shown towards the people who are in need, such as the Good Samaritan, right? The Good, the good Samaritan showed mercy to the guy who got robbed. He, he was in need. Or it can be mercy shown towards those who have offended you. And especially if you have power over them in, in some way. And then you, you forgive them. You show them mercy. God definitely showed mercy to us in both ways, right? I mean, we offended God and he, he forgave us, right? And also we were in need and he, he showed mercy to us. So this is mercy. Mercy is, is un, undeserved. Jesus showed mercy to the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus also showed mercy to the people who were crucifying him. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. You see, this is, this is mercy. What is the opposite of mercy? The opposite of mercy is condemnation and judgment. Did you know that the, the name Satan, it means accuser in Hebrew? Accuser, like I accuse you. Or if you're in a court, there's the prosecution and the defense. It's like the prosecution. That's, that's what Satan, uh, that's what his name means in, in Hebrew. If, if uh, we don't have mercy, then we're being more like Satan than, than like God. Satan, he says, this person deserves to die. This person deserves the punishment that's coming towards them. And sometimes we, we feel in our heart that, man, just wait until that person gets what's coming to them. Then, then, they'll be, then they'll see. Or if something bad happens to them because they've been bad and we feel happy about it, then we are more like Satan than like God. We should not do that. Even if people deserve something, some punishment, but we should pray that they repent and did turn around and not receive the punishment that is due to them. This is how God, God feels. God, he's willing to mercifully pardon those who repent, no matter what they've done previously. This is mercy. We can be merciful when we are like, have the other characteristics that Jesus, Jesus mentioned, poor in spirit, mourning over sin, and being meek. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Now this is really interesting because today especially, people believe that they're already pretty pure in heart. <laughs> and that, you know, that they, they hey, I, my, my heart is okay. You know, all I need to do is be true to my heart and everything will be fine. Even Christians sometimes think like this. They, they might say, hey, I'm just following what my heart is telling me. Or I'm just being honest with myself. You don't want me to put on a mask, do you? That's what even things that, that even Christians say. They say, I'm not going to say something that I don't mean or live a lie. But I'm just going to be honest. That's what, that's what many people will say. But what happens when, when people live like this? What happens when everybody just follows their, their own feelings and emotions? Not good stuff. You know, our honest, our honest thoughts often offend each other. There was one person um, I went to a care group with, and this person was always offending other people. I said, excuse me, why, why do you always do this? And they said, I'm just being... You know, just saying what, I f- what I'm thinking. And I'm saying, please stop th- saying what you're thinking. <laughs> you know, I know you're being honest, but you know, you, we, you, you shouldn't, we shouldn't think that just become, because it comes naturally, then it must be okay. And that everything's going to be okay if you just, you know, be yourself. No, that's, that's, that's not a recipe for good things happening. Um... We may offend others. We may abandon our commitments because we no longer feel the same way we did when we made those commitments. We, we will end up chasing after things that are going to make us happy. But in the end, we see, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so happy anymore. Why does this happen? Why, why is it wrong to just follow our hearts and what our hearts tell us? I want to read a few verses here. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3, says, the hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. In Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Wow! We see that actually, this is why we can't just follow our hearts. And, and things that come naturally to us should be, are not always the best for us. They're not always going to lead us to happiness. This is something that is, is um, you know, I, I think that many people don't understand. Definitely people outside the church, they don't understand this. And Unfortunately, many people, even in the church, they don't understand this as well. They don't understand why it's wrong for somebody to just 
do do what they feel. If they are in love with this person, then just go ahead and do whatever you want. No. They don't understand why. But the Bible says is that our hearts are full of wickedness. And moreover, they're deceitful. So that they don't, they promise us happiness, but they don't deliver it. The Bible says that God did make us to be happy. You read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. It was great. You know, they had things to do. They, they were in charge of all the animals. They, they were, you know, um, busy like planting, taking care of this large garden, which is a really large area. And they were, they were, you know, naming all of the animals and all the animals listened to them. It was, it was great. But in chapter 3, Adam and Eve said, Hmm, I wonder if we could be more happy if we did something on our own instead of what God wanted us, told us to do. Maybe if we just followed our hearts, we would be even more happy. And so that's what they did. And that's the root of sin. That's the root of sin. And then sin grows up boom, and it has fruit. And this fruit is, is action. In sinful actions. And when these sinful actions mature, guess what? Death. Death and destruction. Sickness. Oppression. Addiction. Hopelessness. Hatred, broken relationships. That's why we can't follow our heart. We need to learn to distrust our own heart. Realize that, hey, not everything my heart tells me is good for me. No, I need to stick to the word of God. What the Bible says. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who, who are the pure in heart? The pure in heart are those who acknowledge, yeah, my heart is deceitful. I can't trust it. And then they repent. And they turn to God and say, God, you tell me. You tell me what is best for me. I don't want to choose for myself because I can't trust myself. But you tell me, and I'm going to submit to you. And probably the, the best example of this is King David in Psalm 50, 51. David wrote this psalm when, after Nathan the prophet came to him and said, You did wrong. You killed a man and you took his wife to be... To, to be, to be you know, uh, your, your wife. And you are the king. You're supposed to protect this guy. And he was loyal to you and you killed him. And when David heard this, he was, it shattered his world. And he was broken and he wrote this psalm. Psalm 51. Verse 1 through 12. Let me... Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He said, sure, my sins have had consequences and and hurt other people, but I transgressed your law. Just in the same way the king is supposed to, is responsible for for all the subject's behavior in the kingdom, the same way God is responsible for his subjects. King David understood this. So that you are proved right when you speak. Oh, again, and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts and teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So you see, King David, he turned to God and he repented and he acknowledged his own sin. He said, surely I've been sinful my entire life, even before I was born, when I was in my mother's womb. And I've transgressed your laws. But Lord, according to your great compassion, blot out my sins and teach me wisdom. Give me truth in the inmost parts. Create in me a new, a new, a pure heart and keep your Holy Spirit with me and grant me a willing spirit. You see that we can have a pure heart even though we may not be pure people. I'm, I'm talking about uh, that we we occasion we we you know we we struggle with with our sinful nature, but when we repent and turn to God, then we can have a pure heart. A pure heart is not like you know people who just never think bad thoughts. You know they're like some superhuman people that you know they're you know their minds are blank. <laughs> you know everything you know no the people with a pure heart are those who when when they're sensitive to the holy spirit and they repent and they turn to god and they ask him to cleanse them and they ask for the help of the holy spirit to to be right a people with a pure heart are those who there's no deceit Nothing between them and God any longer. There's no layers of lies and, and deception, um, mostly to themselves. But they allow themselves to be washed with the water of the word. They allow themselves to be washed with the water of the word. They look into the word of God like in a mirror and they see the true state of themselves. And then they they change. They allow the word of God to pierce inside of them. 
and to judge their, their thoughts and their, their attitudes. These are the, the people who are, are pure, who have a pure heart. The Bible, Paul says, hey, I don't just let any thoughts run in and out of my mind, but I check my thoughts and I capture the ones that are, are wrong and then I bring them in and I make them obedient to Christ. We need to do the same thing. We need to have Gestapo in our mind. Sorry, maybe like a police police for it, or, or like a, a virus detection, you know, software or something, you know, in our mind that that uh, that detects, you know, the things that that are not right, and then captures them, takes them captive, and makes them obedient to Christ. This is what it means to. To have a pure heart. It means that we, we stop lying to ourselves. And we agree with God. You, you want to do that? You think it sounds like a good, good idea? Yes. Okay, good. I'm not sure if everybody is really enthusiastic about it. But, <laughs> but I, I can tell you that even though you may think it doesn't sound like fun... But you try it. I challenge you to try it. Even though it doesn't sound like fun to not follow your heart and stuff, I challenge you to try it. And don't see if you reap a harvest of righteousness because of it. God's going to use you and do things in your life that you didn't imagine before. But the things he's going to... He's just... just Take him at his word. And also, he's going to save you from so much trouble and so much grief. And he's going to protect the people that you care about who are around you too. It's just a much, much better idea. Okay, let's move on. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The world says that, hey, we can have peace if you don't bother me or touch my stuff. And we'll have peace, all right? Or they're like, like Dirty Harry, you know, and they pull out, you know, a big forty-four Magnum. It's like, this is the peacemaker. <laughs> That's the, the, the world's idea of, of peace, Okay, but Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about a different type of peacemaker. Okay, Jesus is talking about a peacemaker who is not looking for his own interests, but rather for the interests of others, especially those of God and those of the people that God loves. And this peacemaker is going to come in between and he's going to appeal to these people on God's behalf. And he's going to say, be reconciled to God. Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. It's kind of long. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you see, this, this type of peacemaker, in order to be this type of peacemaker, we need to set aside our own interests. We're no longer thinking, thinking about, about ourselves, like protecting me and my stuff, and that's how we have peace. But we're thinking about the interests of God, and especially what is God interested in? God is interested in the people who are fighting against him. He's interested in the, the people who have rebelled against him. God loves them, and he wants, he wants them to be reconciled to him. Definitely, God is the rightful king. Imagine there's a land, you know, a long time ago, in a faraway place, okay? And there's a good and just king over all of that land. And then some bad guys come into the land, and they, they get all of the subjects to rebel against the king. And, and all of the subjects think, you know, the king is bad. You know, we don't, we're not going to obey the king any longer. Now we are free. You know, we want democracy. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Um, but the, the king is good. And he loves his subjects. And he's, he sends his son because he knows that this is the only, only way that they're going to be saved. And they kill the son. And then, but what happens when they kill him, something happens is that some of the subjects are, they, they're changed. And now these guys are trying to talk to their fellows. They're saying, hey, actually the king's not bad. The king's good. And that, you know, you need to repent. You need to turn back to him. Because one day, he's going to send his army and he's going to wipe out all of the rebels. Now's the time. Turn back to your true allegiance. This is, this is what we are like. We are like those, those people who were once rebels against God, but then we returned. And now we're trying to convince all of our, all of our fellows, hey, turn back to God. One day, God's going to come back and he's going to judge the world. But now is the time to turn back. So we are peacemakers, trying to make peace between God and man. To be peacemakers, we need to, we need to set aside our, our own interests. Some people, they're not willing to do this. And that's, those are the people that Paul says live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
When Paul was talking about this in, I believe it's Philippians chapter 3, he wasn't talking about people outside the church or people who oppose the church. He was talking about people who called themselves Christians, but by the way they lived, lived as enemies of the cross of Christ. Because they're not willing to be peacemakers, they offend other people unnecessarily. They're not easy to... to they, they're they're not, not, not interested in listening to your viewpoints. They, they just want to see other people burn. <laughs> you know? they're, 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 not, they're not peacemakers. To be peacemakers, we need to know who is and who is not our enemy. Basically, the, the, the way you do it is you go up to them and, and you feel their arm. And if you can feel their arm, then it means they have flesh and blood. And if they have flesh and blood, they're not your enemy. That's how you do it. So, because the Bible says that for our enemy, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the principalities, all the, the, the evil spirits in the heavenly realm. Okay, if you thought that your enemy was one of these guys who, you know, you can feel, no, you're wrong. So if they hit you with their fist and you get a black eye, you know they're flesh and blood because they hit you, right? So they're not your enemy. <laughs> so <laughs> so easy, easy way to tell. So we need to know who is our enemy. Our job as a Christian is to make peace between God and these rebellious people. That means we need to become like Paul, who said, hey, I'm willing to become all things to all men so that I might, so that I might win some. It doesn't mean that we compromise the gospel message or what God is saying. But in every, we do our utmost to win people over without, without compromising. It means that we have to let go of our ego. We have to let go of our preferences. Do you, how many of you guys know about bullfighting? You know? Wow, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. One thing I learned about bullfighting is that you know, when, they, when they bring the bulls in, they, the bulls are, are, they don't want them to go crazy and like hurt themselves, so they put them in with some tame bulls, like some bulls who aren't wild, you know, so, and then the bulls who aren't wild, hopefully they'll kind of like make the wild bulls like settle down. But what happens sometimes is that these wild bulls, they've been out, you know, running free for their entire lives. And suddenly they're, they're you know, they're in this place and they're really angry and they gore the, the tame bulls. And the tame bulls, they don't fight back because they're tame. They just get gored and then they, you know, fall over and die. <laughs> And that's, what it, that's how it's like sometimes, brothers and sisters. You know, when we, when we get somebody, you know, into the fellowship and they're still a little bit wild, you know, and we're the tame bulls, sometimes we get gored, you know, and then we're, oh, oh okay. But remember, if you do it, you, you do it for Jesus, Okay. If you if you if you if you take the hit, you take it for Jesus. All right? We we need to we need to be willing to take the hits for 
for Jesus. If, if people come in and they got rough edges and, you know, they're, you know, this or that, we, we just take the hit for Jesus, okay? Um, I would just give you some, uh, some tips. If you, if you want to be, I mean, because uh, basically one of the prerequisites for being in pastoral ministry is you have to be able to deal you know, with people, and I, if if I'll share some secrets with you, okay? Is that you need to un, have like a high level of empathy, so being able to understand what the other people are feeling, and also you need to listen to people, and if they're arguing with you, you need to understand what their argument is. And you can't characterize them. Characterize is like, I draw like a cartoon. Oh, this is that person, Bozo. And he has like horns and a, and a devil tail, you know. And, and like, like, that's what I think of him. I can't do, do like that. I have to look at him as he really is, okay, and listen to the words that are coming out of his mouth, not putting words into his mouth. And I can't. I can't assume to know his secret motives inside of his heart. Because if I do these things, then it means that I'm going to fight with my, the caricature. And I'm never going to get any, make any progress with this guy. I need to be able to listen to him and even restate his arguments in a way that he would agree are, is accurate and even in the most convincing way possible. And when I do that, then he's going to listen to me. Okay? This is, this is just, just some, you know, some, some secrets. So, you know, when we, we're seeking to make peace, we shouldn't try to make our, you know, the people who are opposing us or something out to be the worst possible. You know, they're, you know, um, you know, compare them with Hitler or something, or we shouldn't try to say, um, you know, uh, assume what their secret motives are, like, oh, what they really mean is this, what they're really trying to do is, is, is this. You know, if possible, we may, might, might try to find some common ground with them. But this is what it takes to be a peacemaker, in, in, in my opinion. Okay? We, we need peacemaking skills. There are some Christians who, it seems their entire ministry is fighting someone or something. Even sometimes it's other Christians. That's really bad. You know, they're not, not peacemakers. You know, there's a time when we need to oppose people. Paul told Titus that you warn a divisive person once, then twice, and then after that you have nothing to do with them. There's a time when we need to speak out publicly, but when we do, we need to keep maintain our role as a peacemaker. I want to read two verses, and we're almost almost done. Two verses first in First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen. First Peter chapter three, fifteen and sixteen. But in your hearts. Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, 
keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So you see that um, Peter is telling the persecuted Christians in Asia, he's saying, when you answer publicly, when you speak publicly, do it with gentleness and respect and keep a clear conscience. You know, those other guys may play dirty, but not you. The second verse is in Titus, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Titus 3, 1 and 2. It says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. It means that implicitly he's saying, hey, you should not obey if they tell you to do something wrong, right? But if they tell you to do something good, yes, you need to be ready. Say, hey, I'm with you. To slander no one means to not speak falsely about anybody. To be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all men. Christians should not be wet rags. Means that we have no backbone, you know. We need to stand up for what is right. We stand in the tradition of, you know, the, the, the abolitionists who stood up like Charles Finney. You know, his church in, in New York was burned down because he, he preached against slavery. We need to stand in the, 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 the line of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who said, hey, you know, this type of prejudice and, and hatred is not right. But we need to do it with gentleness and respect and with true humility towards all men. If We need to maintain our role as peacemakers. Finally, let's look at verses 10 through 12. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You'd think that people who lived according to the Sermon on the Mount, would be like receive some kind of like reward or something. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, instead, they're going to receive persecution. Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's tough. Tough to swallow. Actually, if we receive persecution, it's not because we're poor in spirit or that we mourn over sin or that we're humble, or that, you know, um, you know, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, or we're merciful. People are not persecuting us because of those things, but they're persecuting us because, when, because, because of Jesus. He said, because of me, or for my sake. We are, per- we are persecuted because of Jesus. Even though... Jesus said, hey, you guys be peacemakers. 
He also said, I, I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. He didn't mean that Christians are to, you know, pull out their swords. But he meant that where Jesus is, there is going to be division. There's going to be people who follow Jesus, and then there's going to be people who oppose, oppose Jesus. It doesn't mean that we, we, we you know, bring, bring the sword, but that there's going to be division, and we're going to be persecuted. Jesus was humble. He was merciful. He was a peacemaker. But they beat him and crucified him. If they did that to Jesus, definitely, you know, we, we, we are not exempt. Jesus said there would a, t- a time would come when anyone who killed a Christian would think he was offering a service to God. In fact, this is, so this is one of the marks of a true Christian is that we do receive persecution. So we shouldn't be worried about it. Don't be worried when, when people call you names or falsely say, say stuff about you. Don't be worried. Just bless them. If, if one day, you know, um, somebody comes in and, and, and sets fire to our church or, or whatever, don't be worried. Don't be discouraged. God holds all things in his hand. He is sovereign over everything. This morning we were studying the, the book of Acts. And after the, the, the lead, leaders in Jerusalem had arrested the apostles and then let them go and warned them not to speak in the name of Jesus, they prayed. And they prayed, Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, maker of the earth and the seas and everything in them. You, um, he said, and then he quoted from the book of Psalms and he said, why do the nations rage and the kings plot in vain against you? And, and the idea is that, you know, hey, people are going, the people who oppose Jesus, they're going to throw everything they can at, at his followers. But we shouldn't be afraid. Instead, we should pray like the, like the apostles did. They said, Lord, hear their threats and enable your servants to speak with great boldness. Come down and show your power with signs and miracles. So to, to conclude, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, could, I can't say that you know, if you do all these things, you're going to be the most popular people because you might not. You might not be. But you are going to be on, uh, associated with Jesus. Okay? If, I want to reemphasize that the things we talked about today, they're not like some high moral standard that we just need to know about and then feel guilty that we cannot achieve. No, this is something that God intends to transform you day by day to be, to be like this. The, he's describing characteristics of people who he's making perfect. And the way he does it is through his Holy Spirit. If you, 
are not sure that you are a Christian, you're not sure that, that you're a follower of Jesus, that he's working in you this way, it's easy to get started. You can get started today. The way to do it is to repent. Say, God, I agree with you that my heart is wicked, that I'm not always, that I'm not always, I'm most of the time, I'm, I'm not good and I'm not doing what you say. And I want you to help me. I want, I want to make you the boss of my life. And then his Holy Spirit is going to come in and he's going to change you. The Bible says that we are transformed from glory to glory to be more like Jesus. So that's the, that's the good news. Is there any, if there, any, anyone would like to, would like to do this, it's important that you make a public declaration. In fact, all of us, at one time, if we were a Christian, we made a public declaration. I want to give you an opportunity to make that choice today. You need to, um, the reason why you should make a public declaration is because you know that, that it's a, uh, that that you're you're making this this choice because if you just make it in your mind, you know, then maybe you'll make it un- unmake it in your mind later. <laughs> you know, I I want to give you a choice. If you want to know that you're on the you're following Jesus, that you're on the right path, I want to ask you to please please stand up. Please go ahead and and stand up right right now. And then we'll we'll pray t- with you together. I'm sorry, it's uh, a little bit uncomfortable, but actually, it's not that bad because you're in the church, and we all want to want you to want you to um, to make this decision. So, if you want to make this decision, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, but you want to be sure, now is the time. Now is the time. Please, please go ahead and stand up. Actually, you're in a very friendly place. Because we will be so happy to 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 encourage you. If you if you want to make that decision today, please stand up. Is there anybody that that would like to make sure that they're they're following Jesus? Anyone else? It's a good thing. You won't be sad. You won't be sorry. I guarantee it. Is there anyone else? If you're if you're not sure, if there's any doubt, now's the time. You can be sure. Easy. You can be sure. All you have to do is make a decision. It's a decision. Is there anyone else? I think there's still some more. You're just waiting for me to stop and give up, but I'm not going to. <laughs> if you're struggling in, in, in your if you're struggling in your heart, wondering whether you should stand up or not, I'm telling you, you should just do it. Just stand up right now. Okay. One last chance. Is any anybody else out there? You want to follow Jesus? You want to make sure? 
you don't have to be be ashamed because actually I'm standing up here too. In fact, all of us we we would all stand if if it's our time. Anybody else? Okay. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, you see these people, Father God, Lord that they publicly say that they want to follow you that they want to be your followers lord father god and lord they take you at your word that you said that you're going to help them father that you're going to give them your holy spirit to be with them lord i ask you father god lord strengthen them father lord help them father to know that they are not alone that you are with them somehow father god Show yourself to them in these next coming days, Father God. They're going to know without a doubt that you are real. Send them dreams or visions, Father God. Do something in their life, Father God, that they can experience you, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will work in them and that you will keep them safe in your hand, Father God, all the way into the finish line, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you everybody if you stood up um uh if you want to talk to me afterwards I would be glad to talk to you. So please please have a seat. Thank you. Let's let's all all pray together brothers and sisters. Let's let's pray that that we can reach the the level of perfection that Jesus sets for us. Father God, Lord, we we ask you, Father, Lord, to please help us, Father God. Lord, we are imperfect people. Father, but you are powerful. You can do all things, Father. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord, to to work in us, Father God, to do what you want, Lord. Lord, our, our our lives are not our own any longer, Father, but we give them over to you, Lord. Father God, we look forward to what you're going to do. in us father god and in in this society father god lord even though things may seem like eh, maybe they're not going so well father for the cause of christ but lord you can do all things father god lord nothing nothing is beyond you father god you can do all things lord father god let it start with us father god let your change start with us lord in our lives father god lord i pray that you keep spurring us father god to 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 love you more to desire you more lord father that the conviction of your holy spirit is going to stay with us and only grow father god lord i pray that each person father will go home that when they they read your word father god you're going to speak to them lord you're going to speak to them father and show them in what ways they need to change you're going to speak encouraging words to them father god yes lord thank you lord thank you father god lord we 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 are glad father that we don't serve a dead god but that we serve a living god and that you are with us and that you love us you have good intentions for us father god i pray lord that 
You're going to confirm your word with signs and wonders, Father God. That means things are going to happen in these people's lives, Father God. Lord, when they obey you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We believe it, Father God, and we lay hold of it by faith, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. 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 Yeah. So, I encourage you to go home, read Matthew chapter 5 and 6 again, and read it slowly, you know, and just allow the Holy Spirit to to speak with you. Have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. So be blessed, everybody. God bless you.